I've just about had enough of you. I'm more than machine. A man made out of pig. I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and subtitles. Dialects and subtitles. Hello and welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots. We are releasing this episode on the 2nd of January, which is Isaac Asimov's official birthday. Hooray, happy birthday. Huzzah. So Isaac Asimov um, was born in 1920 and uh, died in 1992. So what was he, 72 when he died? So not very old. And he has loomed large throughout the 50 Years of Shit Robot podcast so far, hasn't he? Yes, he has to, because he came up with the three laws of robotics. Do you know what they are off the top of your head? Oh, no. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that, and I was going to write either. them down. Me but you've either. done... You know what I thought? You've done it so many times, and you are so good at it. <laughs> so just off the top of my head, the, the three laws are... <laughs> Uh, number one, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. The second law is a robot must obey orders given it by human beings, except, crucially, where such orders would conflict with the first law. And then the third law is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with first or second laws. And essentially, almost all of the robots that we've looked at so far... Yeah have all ignored one or all of those laws. Yeah, failed massively. They just slaughter people. <laughs> so it begs the, it begs the question, um, are, are Isaac Asimov's three laws of robotics uh, utter bullshit? No, no, they're not. They work. They do work. I think there's, it's got, they've, got, they've got their critics. Yeah, but nobody, no, no robots do it. Yeah, they're all pretend, Matthew. <laughs> yes. I think what Isaac Asimov is doing, he's uh, he's projecting that a time like now when mm. robots would be, you know, sentient and and that these um, laws would mitigate against what we all know is coming. Yeah, the ultimate destruction of humanity via robot uh, massacre. Yeah, exactly. Yes, Skynet. Yeah, um, Dalek, Daleks, the lot. It's, it's humans' attempt to stop that happening, which, you know, whether that will be successful, who knows? So because it is Isaac Asimov's birthday today, we thought we'd do a film that, I mean, features uh, him front and centre. Um, in fact, it's a, the film we're looking at today is Bicentennial Man, which is based on his books. Yeah, it's based on two, uh, a short story and, and a book. One's The Bicentennial Man by Isaac Asimov, and the other is The Positronic Man by Isaac Asimov and Robert Silverberg. And, and they both follow the same characters, but in a different way. And the, the character that they follow is essentially the character that Robin Williams plays in this film. In the film, by yeah. Centennial Man, which came out in 1999. Did it? I think you'll find it did, Matthew. I thought it was early 90s. It felt early 90s. When I was watching it, it felt like it had an early 90s, even a late 80s aesthetic to well, it. Well, I think that might be down to Chris Columbus, the director. True. Yes, who also directed um, Home Alone. Home Alone. Home Alone 2, <laughs> Mrs Doubtfire, yeah. Harry Potter, uh, The Philosopher's Stone, and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, amongst many other films. Yeah. He also wrote 
the screenplay for Gremlins, Goonies, and Young Sherlock Holmes. Wow. Which yeah, begs the question, yeah. how can he produce so much schlock when he's written Gremlins and Goonies? Yeah, that is true. I love. But maybe the reason why I thought Bicentennial Man was made in the <laughs> late 80s <laughs> rather than nearly the two, 2000s is because of Chris Columbus, as you say. Yeah. So it was not. It was an expensive film that was made by a really sort of accomplished commercial filmmaker. It had Robin Williams in the lead role, and it and it bombed, and it was critically not not acclaimed. Now no, I would say that panned. that all of taking all of that into account, I was surprised at how much I liked it. Oh, really. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna fess up. There were about two or three times when I did have a tear in my eye. Oh. But there were for, for for emotional reasons, and there was quite a few other times when I I wept because I had to sit through it because <laughs> it is mawkish at times. Yeah, I think that it's not it's not without its faults. I don't want you to think that um, that it's going to be in my top favorite films of all time list maybe because i'd heard so many bad things about it my expectations were so low that it sort of it kind of like ah, you know okay. what i mean it kind of like it kind of crept above that so and also the other one other thing i i think is that robin williams is one of those actors that i watch anything that he's in yeah because i think he's amazing yeah he is he's an amazing actor but i'm i'm not keen but he's also he has a he's got like a switch in him which is like it's like the it's the sugar level of the film is just like off the chart oh, isn't it completely and that happens so much in bicentennial man i mean so it's a, it's classic robin williams i think in in that sense i mean even a really gritty great film like good morning vietnam that has got death and destruction is still incredibly saccharine yeah because of because of him being in it and I think one of the problems with the film is that is trying to get uh, his personality through the the robot suit, which I loved. Yeah, the film starts. The title sequence of the film is the building of the robot, isn't it? Yeah. So you sort of see little cogs being put into things and circuit boards being <laughs> something. You can see I'm a very te technical person. Soldered, <laughs> soldered. Yeah, it's all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, you're right. I really like that. And I really like the suit. And I really like the face as well. The face is borderline Disney-esque, but... Yeah, but I th I was all right with that. I mean... It, but the it was, it's, they've got to get his personality across. Yeah. So it's essentially, it's it's a face that looks like Robin Williams, doesn't it? But, yeah, it but does. As, but as a robot. So he's a, he's an android. He's a, he is an a, android. He's a robot that is made to look like a human. And I was looking um, at a behind-the-scenes... Uh, little film about Ooh. it because I was wondering how they pulled it off because it looks to me as though the the facial movements are done post. It feels they're practical like they're, though, aren't they? I don't think they are. No, I think the whole suit, from the look of 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 it, the whole suit he wears, Robin Williams wears on set. Then he's got various helmets well, for it. There is a Ro Robin Williams fan page, and there is a rather long piece on Bicentennial Man and there's an even the largest bit is all about the suit uh, when the face moves uh, literally to make him have oh, no, uh, uh, uh. I'd have to read it but I do I think no I think it's huge this bit but I think 
the actual facial movements, the eyebrows mm. and the mouth, they're, they're, it's animatronic. Animatronic, okay. So you carry on with your findings. <laughs> no, that was I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't fathom it out at all. Um, other than there was there was definitely one one helmet he wore where his whole face was visible, and so I just assumed that then they they used his actual facial movements as a sort of reference for stuff being put in in post. Oh, okay. But I mean, if you you know if you've got a blog that you've not read properly. From some nerd. Oh, that, that I felt that. <laughs> that was a little bit of a stab <laughs> at my academic heart. <laughs> so, so the film starts in <sighs> two thousand and five. This van is delivering a robot to this family, and it's what I think is nice is that we've so far we've seen the robot being built in the titles, but only yeah. like bits. We've only seen like a hand here or an eyeball there or something. And the the robot is delivered in a big box, sort of a coffin-sized box, yeah. uh, gets delivered into the front room and is opened, and then we see the robot at the same time that the family sees the robot. And I like the way he gets his name as well, because Little Miss misunderstands the word android. And so he becomes Andrew. Yeah. What's a... Mummy, what's an Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought that was that was great. My one criticism of this first scene is that they really have to shoehorn in Asimov's Three Laws. Oh, oh wow, and don't they? I think <laughs> I think I know where the budget went. <laughs> the robot, Andrew has to, before he does anything, he says, um, I'm going to give you a presentation on the three laws of robotics. And then then you just, he just does this. And you sort of think, that's a bit irritating, isn't it? But I was I was also watching iRobot this week as well, which is another film that obviously has Asimov at its heart. You know, the, the, the three laws of robotics are at the heart of the film, but as we've demonstrated ourselves, no one knows what the three laws are. So they have to they have to sort of repeat them. And they do it just at the beginning over the titles. It's just yeah, like it's in these, the title are the, sequence, these are the yeah, it? these are the three laws. And I thought that was a slightly neater way of doing it than than uh, Andrew the robot having to have this weird moment where he explains what the three laws of robotics are with his three D holographic projection that terrifies the life out of the family. Yeah. Would you care to hear the three laws of robotics? Said to be a most entertaining presentation. Okay, sure. <laughs> First law of robotics. A robot may not injure a human being or through inaction cause a human being to come to harm. Second law. A robot must obey all human orders except where those orders come in conflict with the first law. Third law. A robot must protect itself so long as doing so does not conflict with the first two laws. So then we so we, we know what the three laws of robotics are because Andrew the robot has very handily sort of spelled them out to us. And as soon as the robot enters the family, each person in the family has a very different sort of view of Andrew. Oh yeah. And you've got um, <clears throat> the youngest daughter becomes his friend. Um, the dad, who's played by Sam Neill, uh, sort of he's sort of on his side as well. But the mum is, but he's a bit he's a bit kind of standoffish. And he is. 
Yeah. He's a bit snotty. Yeah. I've got I've written down Sam Neill, despite being a dick at first, is the one who recognizes his uniqueness. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but he is though, isn't he? Yeah, he is a complete dick. There's yeah. another there's another bit of quite far down the line where he he, he he, he does his dickness again. Yeah. He becomes a dick at the end of his life as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got, yes, yeah, so you've got the different experiences from, from the different family members. The mother doesn't really, sort of, is a bit sort of weirded out by Andrew the robot. But the young daughter, the, sorry, the eldest daughter, I mean, oh. is like violently, uh, like opposed. I don't, I don't quite know where this comes from. I just she looks at the box before it's opened and she's got a hateful look on her face. Yeah, she does, isn't she? Yeah. And pretty early on, she decides that she's going to like she could order Andrew the robot around. He obeys the orders of the humans in the family, and she's going to get him to jump out the window. So she basically says, "Andrew, open the window," and he goes and opens the window. And then she says, "Now jump out of the window," and he jumps out of the window. And I was thinking to myself, "Is that him breaking an Asimov law?" Well, he's hurting himself. No, he has to obey humans. Law three is a robot must protect its own existence. Ah. Right, so that's like... so. He, but unless it comes into conflict with either the first or the second law. So the first law, a robot may not injure a human being, so that's not that one. That's all right. A robot must obey orders given to it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law, which is about injuring a human being. So actually, he's obeying the, the, the three laws, so isn't he? This is covered in, in the short story as well, at one point where he meets... He's, he goes to a library because he wants to do some research to write a book, and he's he gets lost, and he just stands in the middle of a field, and two people come along and order him to... Because he's wearing clothes by then, to order him to take his clothes off, and he has to obey the orders, uh, and eventually they say they're going to dismantle him, and they want him to help them dismantle him. So I think... Uh, this doesn't appear in the film, though, does it? The, no. Uh, I think it's a substitute for some, you know, some rather uncomfortable scenes. So I think they're doing it just through bad kids, and I just don't think that works. Yeah. I think you need a scene that shows Andrew's vulnerability to uh, make you comfortable with what Andrew is about to do in the rest of the film, which was which was pursue his own humanity. Yeah, I agree. Because it feels like it comes from nowhere. And I'd say that there's a lot of that in the film because the, the span of the film is, is 200 years. Oh, uh, and it I, felt like it. Bicentennial Man. There's a lot of motivation that is missed. There's, there's a little bit... So um, jumping ahead to a bit, which I found very confusing. So Andrew has a friendship with Little Miss, who is the youngest yeah. daughter. And then... There's this moment where she's a little girl and he's helping her play the piano and then there's a transition and suddenly she's 15 years later and she's a woman and yeah. he's and they've, they've obviously had this friendship for 15 years and he's helped her play the piano. And then in, in a scene kind of coming up, she then says to him that she's had a proposal of marriage, but she says that she's not sure she should do it because she has feelings for someone else. And yeah. she's in, intimating that it's Andrew the robot that she's got feelings for. And I was thinking, where's that come from? Because <laughs> I don't... Yeah, there was nothing, was there? Yeah, you, don't, you didn't get any sort of... Any sort of, of any of that backstory going into that, and, I, and that no. happened on more than one occasion. And I thought that was to the film's detriment. And at that time, he's still very metallic and very yeah, sort and he's, of he, everything. The, the way he talks as well, and everything as is emotionless. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. 
So I don't, it, I didn't quite understand how she'd fallen in love with him. Needless to say, this isn't in Bicentennial Man or The Positronic Man. He doesn't fall in love in those, or or at this stage Not, of it. No, it, that that whole because that, that storyline gets even weirder later on in the film. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it gets so weird, doesn't it? Yeah. But the the daughter, the daughter's, she just becomes a cliched bad girl, doesn't she? Doesn't yeah, Miss. It, it really she, reminded me that whole scene of the transition from two thousand and five to two thousand and twenty. I suppose it is, isn't it? Um, just looked like the Simpsons. See, oh God, Lisa Simpson's gone bad. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. This idea of a, of a girl gone bad, she has to look like a skanky Sandy from Greece. <laughs> yeah, she does. <laughs> And oh. her boyfriend is oh, like all leathers and on. You know, the funny thing is, they stay together. <laughs> yes. She may be the bad girl, but you know, she's still in a relationship with the biker. <laughs> uh, Andrew eventually falls in love with Little Miss. So, so it's Miss so complicated. Mark too. Yeah. So Little Miss is uh, the, the 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 youngest daughter of, of the first family he's with. Yeah. And she has a son, and that son has a daughter, and so it's little Mrs. Granddaughter who he ends up falling in love with. Well, do- by now, by now he's wearing clothes and he's earning his own money. Yeah, and he's gone. He's gone to various courts to try and uh, up up the stakes and his his uh, rights as a as, as a, a, a robot. He gets yeah. robot rights. So in the in the in the in this second time phase after we've gone from 2005 to 2020, Sam Neill recognises that he has a, a uniqueness to him because he can... He's, he makes things. He first he's creative. Made, that's right. He first made a little present for Little Miss, and since then he started then making other little wooden animals. Yeah. And, and, then, and, then, it's, and then it's clocks. He becomes a clockmaker. Yeah. So that's his journey in this next bit, is him... And and people around him realizing that he is different to other robots, yes. and that he's more he has a humanity to him at this yeah. point, and he wants that recognized. Yes, and then another twelve years passes. We have another little transition, yeah, where more time passes, and then this is where he wants to buy his freedom. This is a thing. This bit, I think, they really missed missed a really good point here, which is this connection with slavery. Uh, which is not addressed at all. It's it's not even a, a kind of a subplot or anything like that, uh, and it's missed. It's a massive missed opportunity. There is a, a YouTuber called uh, Jonathan McClintosh, and he he's really interested in this idea of, especially the droids in Star Wars, uh, being uh, equated to slaves and slavery. And it's a really interesting podcast as well. And I think. They should have done this in the Bicentennial Man. Yeah. He recognises that he wants to be free. Yeah. He wants to not have to obey orders if he doesn't want to. He, he's, yeah. he, he doesn't want to leave the family, but he wants his freedom, and, and he's, he decides he's going he, to buy his freedom with everything in his bank account. And we know at, the, we know at this point that there's a lot of money in his bank account. Yeah. That he's, he's like, he sells his clocks for loads and loads of money. And... Sam, this is where Sam Neill, because he's the owner of Andrew the Robot, he has this sort of exchange with him. He re-becomes a dick, doesn't he? 
Yeah. And he wants to, he doesn't want to relinquish his slave. Yeah, he doesn't, does he? No. And uh, it takes him a really long time to make the decision to give Andrew his freedom. He doesn't take any money, but he tells him he's got to leave. Yeah, get out. Yeah, and he's a real arsehole about it. And I didn't, I just couldn't, again, I didn't understand that at all. Other than the fact that, because the whole, Sam Neill's sort of character in it has been really sort of kind and supportive of this journey. Oh, all of the things he's wanted to do, all of the court cases and everything. And he he talks to him about, you know, I want to make you the best being you you can be. And I don't know what that is yet. You know, you know, humans, you, you never know what a human's going to become when they're born it takes time for that to blossom sort of thing so there's all of this going on and then as soon as andrew wants his freedom he becomes an absolute monstrous knob yeah he does he reprises his role as a dick so uh, andrew has to leave go the... to a beach <laughs> and way. build a house <laughs> yeah. out of driftwood <laughs> This now this again was another <laughs> jarring moment for me because you I think there's there is scene after scene of Andrew the robot uh, flicking through books quickly because he's able to learn things really really quickly and I mean was coastal erosion not something that he thought about why on earth would you build a house I mean a you're building a house on the sand aren't you which is literally a metaphor yeah. for what you shouldn't do if you want exactly. something to last. And uh, it's so close to the sea that you think that, I mean, it's going to be gone in like three or four years, isn't it? But it just it, it just jumps from one scene to another and then the house is there. Yeah, it does. Again, it, it, because the time span is so massive, it feels like there are so many bits that are just completely rushed and where it's just, as you say, it's just the one minute is this and the next minute something else completely has happened. Should we mention the fact that his, uh, his performance is, is incredibly muted com- compared to his other previous performances? Yeah. He does. He's, he sort of reins it in, doesn't he? He very much so reins it in. Yeah. There is a moment where uh, Andrew is taught how to tell jokes, and that feels very much like a Robin Williams sort of set, doesn't it? Because he's yeah. it's rap- he's got no sort of sense of yeah. of sort of timing, and so it's one joke, one the rapid-fire no jokes. Yeah. Which actually is quite funny. I quite like that delivery. And then we go on to the next part of his life, which is the search for other robots like him. Yeah. So more time passes. Sam Neill dies and on his deathbed asks to see Andrew. And even on his deathbed, the rest of his family are just all really hostile towards him. The mother and the, the the, the elder sister. Skanky Sandy. The sk- skanky Sandy is now is now sort of like not skanky anymore, but it's just really cross about it. And that, that's the other slightly irritating thing I think about covering such a long time in a film in such a short t- short film time is that it's quite hard to keep up with who everyone is because yeah, suddenly there's true. like a whole new set of actors playing characters just for this one scene. Um, it's very odd. So he's now decided, yeah, he wants to go and seek seek out other robots to see whether there are others that are like him. From his line. Yeah. And as I say, is this bit in the books as well, This the search? No. So this is entirely made up for the film? Yeah, in the, in the book, it's basically the... Um, I think he's utterly unique. They realise that uh, and ad- adapt... The, the robots after Andrew 
and so he is he is the only one. Yeah. Whereas he knows that there are others that came off the line the same time as he did, and he goes off in search of them all. But he only finds one that is in working order, and she is incredibly irritated. <laughs> you were dancing in the market. Did you like that? Very much. Dancing is the sportiest sport. And we're so much better at it than humans. Just, just irritating. So we're now about, I mean, how, how, how far into, how far from 20, 2005 are we now, would you say? When he gets back, second little miss is, is it old enough for him to, um... Yes. She's the granddaughter of little miss. So we're probably, we're probably close to the end of the 21st century, I suppose, here, aren't we? Yeah. When he meets, what's her name, the robot again? Galatea. Galatea. He meets Galatea. And Galatea uh, works with Oliver Platt. Yeah. Who kind of restores, builds robots, develops robots. He's a sort of robot, robotic engineer. Yeah. And so he then helps uh, Andrew sort of realise his dream of turning slowly more and more physically human. He makes him flesh. Makes him flesh, makes him a central nervous system. Makes him a heart and lungs. A lot of these things, though, Andrew does develop as well. Yeah, and gives him the plans for them. So the rest of the film after this, it's it's Robin Williams. Yeah, he has skin, and and there's a moment where uh, Oliver Platt comes to him and says, "I have the I have the wherewithal to kind of make you fully human," and then Oliver Platt looks at at <laughs> Robin Williams's genitalia. And then the penny drops and it's, oh, oh. <laughs> and then, and there we have the, 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 the sort of birth of, it's, it's awful. It's Randy Andy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. He's it's, got junk. So he then, he sort of falls in love with uh, little Mrs. Granddaughter, who's called Portia. He, who's in the process of getting married to somebody else. That's right. And who is played by the same actress who plays Little Miss. Yeah. So she's grown identical, miss, identical yeah. to to grown up little miss, and which is weird and confusing. It gets all mills, mills and boons on us as well, doesn't it? There's a whole will they, won't they? Yeah. Will he realise? Will he do the right thing? And she just she just folds instantly. Yeah. She gets does. Re- you, you never see you never see the guy again, do you? The one she was going to marry. Nope. Never again. Um. Then they're in bed. Let's not skirt round it. <laughs> they are in bed. <laughs> um, and so finally, his final little journey to becoming human is the realisation that part of what makes living worth living is dying. The premise is that he cannot be deemed to be a man, a human man, because he's going to live forever because he's a robot. And the thing, one of the fundamental things that makes us human is that we die. Yeah, and and a court says this, isn't it? There's a, there's a court scene where a very nice judge says, "I'm really sorry, Andrew, but we're not going to say that you're human. We're not going to grant you humanity because you are immortal. Yeah, and an immortal robot we can deal with, but an immortal human is, we is n- not something that we can contemplate. Yeah, it's godlike. Yeah. And so, so Andrew makes a decision that he's going to, with the help of Oliver Platt, he's going to sort of like, kind of create uh, an, an end date for his yeah. for his life. 
Because his brain programmed to decay. That's right. And his skin it decays and his hair gets yeah, grey and he ages. And then at the end of the film, he's lying in bed with Portia and <laughs> no, no doubt having just had a, a right old sesh. Yeah, a good old. <laughs> and just as the court finally grants him humanity because he's made this decision that he's going to decay, uh, he dies. He does. He dies before he hears the decision. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, that... I thought that was rubbish. It wasn't it. Yeah. And the whole, like, maybe he didn't need to hear it. It's like, it's all he's gone on about for exactly. the last 200 years. 200 bloody years. <laughs> and his wife has the, the plug pull, doesn't she? Yeah, then she ends her life in the same. Do you realise but... cool. who pulls the plug? Yeah, it's it's Galatea. It's Galatea. <laughs> <laughs> Who's now all fleshy. She's all fleshy. and But it's also ordered by her, doesn't she? Because she says, can you pull the plug on me? Portia says, can you pull the plug on me? And there's some hesitation from Galatea. And then Portia says, that's an order. And so... I mean, what is what has been the point of any? Of oh my god, <laughs> the whole point, right at the very end, is just the the laws are just thrown out of the window. Yeah. So what's interesting about that last bit, I think, about the order is I was sort of thinking Galatea is like flesh and she's sort of human. She's a human now. Yeah. And yet you're still ordering them around. But actually, what am I right in saying that you, that you just were like? You've broken one of As Asimov's laws. Yeah, they've broken the major law, which that is that can't do any harm to a may not injure human. Or a, a human being, or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Essentially, she's turning off her life support. Yeah, ending her life. An, an action. Yeah, to end her life. So Asimov's laws are broken in this film, in Asimov's yes. own film of his own book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> his own novelettes his two novelettes made real does that happen in the book no but surely the whole point of the thing was that that to, for him to be part of his journey to be human was to to be able to break those laws yeah that's true or, or adapt those laws or change them i suppose so because i mean but they're the, fundamental laws even for humans you don't want to hurt another human yeah absolutely you want to preserve human life yeah well except in that instance isn't it that sort of end of life you know the idea that actually well there are moments where we're turning the machine off is actually being maybe more human than than anything yeah i mean that's a debate that's still going on yeah so if 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 that's true so on the basis that that She's turned off the machine and broken a law of Asimov. She's done that because she is human, and so that's like you're like you're saying that that as a as a human, then you've got your license to to sort of break those laws. I would yeah. then, I'd, I'd but I'd say that if that is what's happened, then it's the ordering of her that still is problematic, isn't it? Because like you said, yeah. that is like slavery. It is like slavery. It is. Either way, it feels like that is that is <clears throat> an, an iffy ending. Maybe it's at that point when they say that he is. He is his designation as a bicentennial man is human. Maybe Galatea suddenly becomes human at that point. Yeah. Then she just pulls the plug. Yeah, then she kill her first order of action is to kill. <laughs> is to kill. So I think I've 
my decision now is that I like this film a lot less than I thought I did before I started <laughs> chatting to about it. I was cool. thinking as well that throughout it, I thought there are really interesting things that they should have sort of like just developed rather, yeah. th- rather than trying to do the whole 200-year journey. It was almost like there were sort of like five films in one film. Because I think the whole, the central premise is fascinating, I think. Oh, if you if you listen to, there's an audio book. It's quite just quite short for um, bicentennial man, and it is really fascinating. The mm. premises that he comes up with are really interesting. Yeah, I, I think he uh, he really did. He, he thought it through. Yeah, un- unlike Mister Columbus. Good. All right, that's it. Bicentennial man done. Happy birthday, Lovely. Asimov. Yeah, happy birthday, man. Um, we'll be back uh, next week with another instalment of 50 Years of Shit Robots. Don't forget you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at 50YOSR, at F-I-F-T-Y-Y-O-S-R on both of those. We'd love to hear your comments, especially if you've watched Bicentennial Man yourself and want to like chip into the conversation. Please do. Uh, but until then, until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. And don't ever do that again. Sucks to be you.